This is Law Enforcement Leadership with Dr. Jack Enter. For over 40 years, Jack has trained law enforcement officers all over the world and has learned some valuable lessons that he's passing on to you. For more information about Jack's speaking schedule, go to jackenter.com. Okay, Jack, so for the last episode, we talked about the changes in the society as it relates to these, these different issues, the, the changes in society regarding the, the level of training that people have received from their parents, even peer training and their, their peer groups, people having connections with one another, that's gone or at least very greatly reduced. Um, this affects how people, their self-perceptions, which is the second factor in effective leadership, um, their self-perceptions have been messed up, and then also there's no accountability. Uh, people, um, even the people in their life that should be holding them accountable, they are not. And and you had mentioned how, you know, in the past, if you if you had picked up a, a kid, a teenager, uh, out somewhere and brought him home, the parents would would hold the teenager accountable for doing wrong. Now they are mad at the police for picking on their child, right? And you see that, and it's the same thing in the classrooms. You hear that even sure. among teachers now, too. Um, and so the accountability seems to have gone, and then people uh, are not speaking the truth to one another, and then they grow up with these expectations, and yet without the skills and the ability to to really make progress in anything that they really want to do. So they have high expectations, low skill level, and so there's a lot of fear they respond, flight or fight, right. and so we have all violence. We have um, suicide, medi- uh, medicating themselves, all of these things, and that's the world that the operational people are called to deal with. But from your experience and what you have said in your book, is that uh, at the operational level, the people, the men and women doing that, are actually very effective at their job and. That's really interesting because even though their leaders struggle to to lead well in the operational environment, they're very effective. So why is that? What you want to talk about that in relation yeah, to four? And, it, and I want to remind ourselves that the culture that we say is not preparing people is the culture we recruit these officers from and deputies. Think about that for a minute. And I want to ask you to consider, it it has been interesting in my 68 years in life, I've met people on the plane, very successful business people, um, who when they ask what I do, and I mentioned I was either in law enforcement at the time or I teach law enforcement, many of these people came out of very bad backgrounds that what we've been describing. And they told me, it was interesting to hear the same story, that uh, they were in trouble in high school, and the judge, they had to stand in front of a judge, and the judge said, you have two choices. You're either going to jail or you're going to join the military. And why I mention that story is they will all tell me over the years that that was the key point of being sent into a very structured environment where you had people 
that were closer than your family, who spoke truth to you, held you accountable, but most importantly, you were part of an identity. Uh, I am a Marine. I am a 82nd Airborne soldier. I am a, you know, Air Force uh, pilot, and that that structure, that training, that peer support gave them the skills to be successful, which is in now is why they are a CEO of some major corporation. So with that in mind, what happens when we come into the law enforcement culture uh, and we change? Uh, and, and let's go through those four areas. One, training. The operational level is very training intensive. Uh, you go to the academy, which is, again, training, not education. There is some education, but it's almost all training. It is all, the whole point of the police academy and uh, academy for deputies and federal agents is to equip them with the tools necessary to do the job. And it is done through the tell, see, do model. They talk about firearms. They talk about um, uh, defensive tactics, then they demonstrate it, and then you're forced to do it, and you keep repeating until you've got it. At a minimal level, you have to have that. Um, and so as a result of that, you are being, think about it, your toolbox is being filled with, with tools that aren't just given to you, but you have to demonstrate a certain level of competency with them. Um, a, the other thing that happens is this training is constantly being reinforced. A lot of people who are not in law enforcement may not know this, but there is what we call an in-service training requirement, that every quarter you have to continue to be trained. Firearms, I mentioned in the last podcast, you are required to fire every quarter of the year. That is to make sure that through repetition you keep your tools uh, polished and oiled and ready to go. And so you have that. The other thing that I think is more important, that like the military, it has a very strong relational and mission focus. You are doing this with other men and women, that everybody's equal. You all have to learn this, and it doesn't matter what your background was. You're going to have to go through the same training. You go through it together and you're also being trained by mentors who are very skilled in the particular area that you're being trained in and who are teaching you. And, and that continues through not just your academy, but normally almost all law enforcement is once you graduate from the academy, which is a mixture of training and education, you're put on the street with a senior person who has what we call field training officer, field training deputy. And this is, uh, to use the Star Wars analogy, this is Yoda teaching young Luke, how does this actually happen in practical day-to-day -day things? So the training has continued to be honed and advanced. And it has always been fascinating to me to meet a police officer who came out of the academy and come across him five years later, and he is a or she is a totally different person. Their competency, um, and now they're training the young ones that are coming in. The other thing that happens is, and you think about this, um, 
you're in a relationship with 90% of people who are doing their job. Their motivation, their ability rubs off on you. Show me your friends and show me your future. So 90% of effective people are continuing to train for generations, 90% of people who are effective. So that's that training and relationship. Strong peer identity. It's interesting. You talk to a um, retired uh, law enforcement person, and they always answer the same way. Uh, you say, do you miss the job? And they go, no, but I, I miss the people. That, and that is very similar to the military thing. So the relational thing is very strong. Okay? Then perceptions, and think about this. Instead of thinking about me, my identity is in two other um, ideas. One, the group that I am in this squad or in this unit, and I, I have brothers and sisters, so to speak. And, it, and to me, and that's another fascinating concept, I have met police officers from around the world, and as soon as you tell them you're a police officer, you immediately see them accept you because you're part of the, the group. Um, and then also the mission, that this is more, this is not working in retail business. This is uh, a mission um, to serve and protect or whatever the philosophy might be, that it also, basically what happens is between the peer support and the mission, you, you remember we talked about kings and queens? You take the crown off temporarily. And we're going to see this is important, what happens when you get promoted. But it subdues the self-centeredness. Um, because we understand, which I think is the most important skill you teach a human being, this is not about us. And because of that group, strong group environment, um, it constantly reminds us we do this for the good of the people around us, and for the mission. The other thing is, and I think this is important, I mentioned in the last um, podcast the, about living life second-handedly. You think about that, that I've had people argue with me about things, and I remember a guy told me we, there was, they had to shoot a mentally disturbed person um, that came after people with a knife, and uh, this person said they should have shot the knife out of his hand. And I said, well... Uh, Clint Eastwood was not on duty that day and didn't have that particular skill. But, but the point is people have a perception about life that's sometimes not grand in reality. Think about this, that law enforcement has something that is very unique. They know the, the hard nature of life and evil. Um, they know that human nature is very untrustworthy. One of my favorite speakers in the country. He is amazing. Um, I think he's maybe the best trainer in the country. His name's Kevin Gilmartin. And he his book, Emotional Survival and all that. But it's interesting. He starts his presentation with this um, exercise with law enforcement. He says, when I say this word, tell me what comes to your mind. And, um, and when he yells out the word, Boy Scout leader, they all yell back, child molester. Um, and, and why that's really a funny um, aspect of being in law enforcement is we don't trust human nature. Well, think about that. I mean, that's not a bad 
uh, perspective to have. Um, I remember there was a mass shooting. Uh, this was about five years ago. And there was a police officer doing security outside of the theater where it had occurred. And a reporter um, walked up to him and stuck a microphone in his face. And it was she was clearly upset. And she said, how do you explain what just happened in that movie theater? And he looked at her and said, I'm surprised it doesn't happen every day. But why that's important, we don't see life as just, it's a wonderful place. You know the brutality of life, and as a result of that, I think you live more grounded in that life's hard. So just as a, a side note, a little bit off the, sure. the track on this is... Um, how do you how do you endure that, um, knowing that that's the case and seeing it repeated? You know, you hear stories of jaded cops, right? Mm-hmm. They just are jaded. You I mean they mm-hmm. you're they already know that you're the worst human on the planet, and that's how they're going to assume right. that you are, right? You hear that. So, uh, how do how does a person walk through that without being? Uh, I mean, or or is jaded just? Reality, you know what I mean? I think most people would say they're not jaded, they're just realistic about life. Um, I think one of the things, and I bet you for the law enforcement people listening to this, it's the humor. But that's the way that law enforcement, and again, the camaraderie, um, and it's interesting um, that humor and the belief that we've all gone through this. See, I think if you really, and I know you, you've dealt with people, when you're going through a trial, you think, I'm the only person that's ever gone through this. I think one of the things that law enforcement keeps it steady is we know a lot of people who've gone through this, and we're there for each other. And one of the things that they're doing a lot now in law enforcement is peer support, where if you go through a shooting, if you go through a shooting, um, they put you with somebody that was also went through a shooting. And to have somebody, in a way, walk through you with this. But that, I, I think if you're not careful, um, it can get to you. But um, so it, and, and I want to say this. This is very important. For every terrible thing you've seen, one of the wonderful aspects of law enforcement is the ability to help somebody change their tire on the side of the road and uh, rescue somebody who uh, went over a bridge in their car and you saved their lives. So for every nasty negative thing, you get to watch a child re- reunited with their family. It just balances out, I think, in the long run. So it seems it's really important just for getting through it, to have, yes, the training, but the, the peer relationships is the big thing that's really a, a huge part of this. And like you said, um, that's part of your training, but it's also part of your, just your morale to be able to, to process and to go through it, right? Right. And this is going to be very important when we get the management culture. 
I can withstand almost anything, and I will do a better job when somebody goes with me. We can withstand incredible pressure when we have people to go with us. Um, and you're going to see in the management culture, they don't have anybody. Um, and, you know, people come alongside you operationally, and through difficult times, you know you always, uh, you always have somebody there for you um, most of the time and your partner or your, or your entire unit. And that makes it ability to do it. Okay, so that's the first factor in effective leadership is, is the training. And, and training, uh, you know, the formal training and then the training that is brought on by going through things with other peers who are committed to the same mission and their competence rubs off on you and, and you, you also are more aware, which kind of leads into the next thing of just the perceptions. That's the second factor. Right. So the second factor of effective leadership is, is accurate perceptions, really? Yeah, and it's accurate perceptions because you, are, you get your identity from the group, not just individuals. So basically, it subdues the pride that we have. Um, and it's not about us. But more importantly, it brings us to the third level, which is accountability. That and the because of the dangerous nature of the mission, we tend to speak truth to people because this could all get us killed. Um, I, I did a series of interviews of Navy SEALs one time. I was up dating security clearances uh, for my military obligation, and it was interesting. I had to ask a series of questions of um, the peers of the SEAL that I was updating his security clearance. And so I said, do they use too much alcohol? Do they spend too much money? And it was very interesting how, what the response of the other SEALs was to those questions. They said, why would you think we would let him get away with that? And I said, what? Um, they said, why do you think we would let him drink too much, spend too much money, um, go crazy, because we have to be our brother's keeper or this is going to get us all killed. And now, um, the law enforcement mission is not near as dangerous, but there's still that belief that when you're out there, because if you start a fight because you have an amazing anger problem, there are other people that might be hurt in the process of this, and there's been actual cases of that. So we tend to be more honest with people in the operational level. And again, because of the camaraderie and because of accountability by our sergeants, um, you got to remember, when we're going through the academy, we're being tested. When we go to the range, we're being tested. So accountability is part of the culture, which we're going to again see. You're not going to see that at the management culture. So training, perceptions, accountability, and then that last thing you've mentioned is, is fear. If you remember, Solomon said the fear of man brings a snare. Now, this is what's interesting about Solomon's quote. Solomon is assuming that peer pressure uh, is, causes us to not do what we should do that because we're afraid of people's opinions, we won't do the right thing. 
That is the premise of, I think, what he's talking about. It's interesting, though, that the fear of men and women in the operational level is a positive fear. You don't want to disappoint these guys. You do not want to fail them or the mission. So you are driven to do the right thing, and you're driven to do the job. Because why? You're surrounded by 90% of people who are doing their job. So, and that peer pressure is of a positive nature, which is not what Solomon was talking about. When you're snared is when it causes you to not do your, what you should be doing. And so it is the fear of good men and women who you have a high regard for. You believe in the mission. And that's why when you're out on the street and you've got a drunk driver, um, and you and your partner, you know that we have to lock up these people. They're going to hurt people. And the decision's clear that you do the right thing. Um, and you're constantly being reinforced to do that. Okay, so that, that brings up maybe one last question, right? Is our society doesn't tend to see cops as doing the right thing, right? There seems to be a perception right now that they're out to get you, they're, they're going to plant, plant drugs, or they're going to, you know. What's your perspective on that? Um, I, I disagree with that. I, I think that the, there's a very small percentage of people. Obviously, given the significance of the mission and everything, when one of those people does something wrong, it has amazing implications. But it's very interesting, statistically, um, that, that cops are unfair, that cops do not do what they should do, um, is not being supported. Uh, they, they may not like you, but they will protect you. Um, it, it's interesting, if you remember, there was an incident a couple of years ago where four police officers were killed in a major city during a demonstration. And even under gunfire, it was fascinating because the demonstrators were demonstrating against them. Okay, but I watched this on TV, and I and I told my wife, I said, "Look at what the cops there are doing. They were pushing the demonstrators to cover. The immediate reaction, the mission, is so strong in their lives that under pressure, they still resort to protecting people who are protesting them." Then they went after the shooter. But their first reaction was to guard the men and women who said that the cops hated them. Then they did. They went after this, as we say, went to the sound of the gun. And uh, obviously that's, that's inspiring. That's amazing. And at the same time, that's not unusual in the ranks of uh, the operational uh, level of uh, law enforcement, right? No. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've been in the presence of police officers who've arrested other police officers for speeding, and and you say, well, really? No, well, but they were going 50 miles over the speed limit, and the point of it is that's wrong. That's an abuse of power. And I remember the officer; he was from uh, the Northeast. He said, "Well, this isn't right." He goes, no, and, and the officer there said, no, what you're doing is not right. This does not give you the freedom to drive in a reckless manner. 
And and I bet you if I told most people that, they'd say, well, the cops always let other cops slide. No, no, they don't. They believe doing the right thing, fairness, justice. It is interesting if you ask people why they come into law enforcement, uh, some people say to help people. I think most law enforcement, because they have dealt with victims so long, they have a strong sense of justice and fairness to protect. Um, they've been called sheepdogs, that they protect the sheep from the wolves. And I think innately um, that they learn to always protect the weak and defenseless. Um, and they are strong against people who are violent and abusive um, and that has always been the case. They have a special place in their hearts for people who hurt children. And that's part of their culture. Thank you for listening to Law Enforcement Leadership once again with Dr. Jack Enter. Be sure to tune in next time as we continue to discuss the issues facing leadership and how to overcome them. You can listen on Spotify, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out jackenter.com to order his books or to find information about Jack's speaking schedule. Thank you for listening and see you next time.